<laughs> You've set up shop up on Lomonoso. Oh, huh? yes, for years. A great black crude there. Right? Speaking of black and crude, I know Kanye. <laughs> he came here. He's using my colorist now. He just says whatever he feels. He's like me, but a black. <laughs> That's uh, cool, buddy. Excuse us for a second. Yeah, you're not going to say live from New York without me, right? No. We'd never do that. But maybe. <laughs> live from New York. It's Saturday night. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 10 of Saturday Night Live with host Casey Affleck and musical guest Chance the Rapper. I'm John Murray and joining me this week is Steve Finn. Steve is the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at Transparency CHMR. And you can connect with us at snlafterparty.fm. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out and they're greatly appreciated. All right. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Casey Affleck. Okay, so before we jump into the episode, I want to issue our podcast's first official retraction. Or actually, I should just say, you know, my first official retraction because Twitter user Slacker Inc., Alan, He sent a little bit of feedback. He says the following SNL podcast. You were wrong to assume Marin Morris is manufactured. She worked in Nashville writing songs for others before she became a recording artist. So she does the manufacturing. And then uh, he sent an NPR article where uh, she discusses her, her path through Nashville. And after uh, going over that, it does become kind of obvious that she has been around honing her craft and, rising more kind of organically on her own merits through the country scene. And because of that, I think it's fair to say that my assessment last week, where on first glance, I pegged her as kind of a more commercially packaged country pop crossover, just not really what I would call legit country because I pegged her as that without really knowing too much about her. I think it's fair to say that that was probably out of turn. So I want to give her more credit than I gave her last week. I still feel like her second song, was uh, a a conscious move to make sure that she was covering the broadest possible audience by going a little bit more pop than country. But it's more satisfying to know that she's the one making that decision about where her career is going rather than maybe, you know, some younger act where they're surrounded by hit makers kind of pulling those strings and making those moves for. So I feel like she deserves a little more credit than I gave her. I know that you were actually on board with her performance and, and I started, you know, <laughs> kind of crapping all over the, the review. So I think it's worth just giving her a little bit more applause than, than I was capable of giving on last cast. So consider myself corrected on that point, Alan, and thank you so much for providing feedback. We want all feedback from our listeners, good or bad. We are more than happy to be schooled when we are uh, completely misinformed <laughs> in our assessment. You know, John, I, I'm not going to say it. I really want to, but I'll never say I told you so. No, say it. I'll say it. If you, if I have something to school you on, I'm going to rub it in. I'm not going to be be kind about it. So by all means, if, if I need to take my lumps. Yeah. Well, I hate to say it. No, I don't hate to say it, but yeah, I, I kind of told you so. You did. Nobody ever hates to say it. We always say that. Like, 
you know, it's, it's, it's paining me to have to be right and awesome about something, but that's, <laughs> that's never the case. Uh, let's, uh, let's look at some other feedback before we jump in. Uh, Reddit user <laughs> Colt Smetsvin, 614. That's Colt Smets fan, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I Come on, that's Colt Smets fan. It, it very well may be, but <laughs> I, I, I feel more comfortable thinking of his first name as Colt and his last name as Smetsvin. I think that that is a much better interpretation of that particular Reddit user screen name. Yeah. So his question, did it feel to you guys that Casey wasn't totally into hosting? I felt like his energy in the pre-tape stuff was great. The Dunkin' Donuts sketch was hilarious, for example, but I just felt that he lacked enthusiasm or excitement during the live show. Did either of you feel that way? Did it affect the way you viewed the episode on the whole? Thoughts? I was thinking the exact same thing, and I'm glad someone else saw it there. And yeah, there was a a definite noticeable difference in the pre-tapes and how he was on the live sketches. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking uh, he was not feeling his best because where it's live, you know, you can't pick the time you're going to start doing the show. And yeah, his uh, energy was a bit down. He kind of felt a little flat at times. One thing that that I think is worth mentioning is I listened to uh, Mark Maron's podcast this past week and he had Casey Affleck as a guest. And after listening to that, it became pretty obvious that Casey Affleck is kind of a... I'm not going to say a method actor, but he's someone who he's in love with the idea of performing a part, like really getting into a character and exploring that and, and figuring out how to bring that to his movie roles. Yeah. Like growing a beard for an animated film. There you go. But he doesn't pride himself on being a star. Like he, he's the first to admit that he's not a movie star. He is a, an actor's actor. And in that interview, it was coming across loud and clear that this is just his persona, that it isn't really like in your face and loud and high energy that he's just a little bit more thoughtful and reserved. And he has just kind of a, a little bit of a stoic nature about himself. So that was coming across in the Marin interview. And because of that, as I'm watching the show, I'm like, okay, this is exactly who he is. It's not that he's necessarily nervous or not enjoying himself or not into the show. This is just a, a different venue for him and this is what his natural persona tends to project maybe that's yeah maybe you're right maybe that just is casey being himself up there and that's what it looks like yeah i think that's exactly what's going on where's pete davidson he's like carmen san diego (laughs) uh his twitter is gone his instagram is gone he hasn't been at 30 rock for the last two weeks Last week, I would have just written it off as maybe he took a personal week. Things come up in life. People have highs, people have lows. There's, I don't think it's worth ever like prying into someone's personal business. Just, you know, everyone needs to roll with it. But now it's been two weeks in a row. And now we're following that up with a one month hiatus. Uh, So it kind of feels like Pete Davidson's off the grid and will be off the grid for a while. Do you think there's any story here? Do you think, do you think there's anything dramatic going on or was he just, you know, burnt out and needed a little bit of personal time. What What's going on? Well, uh, neither of us have any hard f- facts about this, so it's pure speculation. But if you, if you follow his social media, you will know that he took the Trump election really hard. Right. He was very vocal about how much that put him in a depressed state. So while we had seen him on the show since that point, you know, it could be lingering with him and it could have snowballed into you know, putting him in a dark place in general. 
But where we haven't seen him in the last two weeks, it seems like he had a conversation with Lorne and uh, Lorne kind of relieved him a bit early before the break. So he said, you know, take the last two weeks off, have your Christmas break and, you know, just just collect yourself because Lorne's really good like that. And um, he, he's good with giving leniency when it comes to personal issues and things like that. Something that Amy Poehler is spoken of a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing he just needed some time. Yeah, could be, could be. Right now, it's much ado about nothing. Like you said, we can only speculate because all we know is what we don't know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if we actually catch wind of anything that's credible about, you know, where he's at, what he's doing, then we'll certainly pass that along through the cast. But otherwise, we just have to assume that, you know, the guy's got to take care of himself and, you know, do what do what he has to do. And if he needs a little bit of time, so be it. Not really any of our business. And so we're not going to uh, harp on it or dwell on it too much with the cast. We, uh, we hope to see him in January when the show comes back. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Let's uh, get into the show. Our cold open tonight, Christmas at Trump tower. The angle is Trump is finishing up his cabinet and Vladimir Putin, uh, drop literally drops in to congratulate him and, uh, eventually marginalize him, <laughs> uh, with the new uh, secretary of state pick who, was played by John Goodman. Do you feel like this was a fun outing? I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I don't know about you, but I thought it was a pretty successful go at uh, spoofing the the latest things we've learned about the election and the, uh, the Russian influence. The big thing that I thought is working for this cold open, maybe a little more than past cold opens, is they're finding a fun angle for Trump at this point where they're basically showing that he's out of his depth that he can be easily managed and easily sidelined and steamrolled by all of the, like the real politicians and all the real power players that are kind of happy to let him be the buffoon in the spotlight. Right. So because they're starting to play that up and make it a little less harsh about, let's just be super critical about every little thing that comes out of Trump's mouth, which to me just that isn't as satisfying or as fun week over week. Now that they're finding a character for him and they can build on that and have fun scenarios rather than just a whole lot of heaping coals on Trump. Yeah. I feel like this feels good. This works as comedy and this to me flowed a lot better than anything we've seen up to this point. Yeah, you're right. It does work. And it actually made me think about this in a real critical way. Like, for example, when Tillerson and Putin were discussing uh, oil drilling sites and all Trump could talk about was, you know, Vanity Fair. Mm -hmm. Kanye. (laughs) Yeah, and Kanye. All I could think is, you know, this is they're totally right here. And and I get the point they're making that that Trump really needs to stop fixating on these trivial things and and look at the big picture because he's he's going to be president. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if their intention with it was as as high-minded like if they're trying to send a, a sobering message to Trump about how to be a good president or if they're just lampooning the fact that it's so obvious that from what we've seen so far with all the stuff about him not really caring too much about security briefings and him still being involved in in all sorts of pettiness uh if they're just basically pointing out that no this is what we're in for just expect that the U S as a whole is going to just kind of (laughs) be the, the handmaiden of these other powers for a while, because he's not really playing in the same league. Right. That's kind of the takeaway that I was getting from it, but either way it resonated, it played and it, it, you're right that it did feel like there was some truth in it one way or another. Absolutely. I like how they have a, a good sense of character for 
their version of Putin on the show. Mm-hmm. Every time we see him, he's not wearing a shirt. <laughs> Beck Bennett, you know, has a you know a passable Russian accent that he can do to to play it. Right, and it kind of reminds me of of Jason Sudeikis's uh, Joe Biden, for example, where they kind of fixate on his his childish uh, personality. So yeah, I, I like that they have a strong, consistent voice behind their Putin interpretation. Yeah, that gets back to what we've talked about a lot of times, which is the difference between an impersonation and an impression. When you can find something about the essence of the character that you're making fun of and bring that to the fore in a way where people look at it and say, yeah, yeah, that's true. They are kind of like that. You know, this is a fun take on them rather than, oh my goodness, that person's mannerisms are like spot on, right? This is what Beck is bringing to it. Yeah. I don't think anyone's going to say that he necessarily has the mannerisms or the exact persona down for Putin, but as a cartoon villain, which is really what the U.S.'s take on Putin is, <laughs> yeah. he, he's filling that role perfectly. And that's why having him, you know, bare chested, like <laughs> all the pictures that you always see being made fun of in the media, that's why that fits that take on him so well. So yeah, Putin is definitely a win and Beck Bennett is great in that role. And so that heaped on top of a much better approach to Trump and just overall a narrative running through the cold open that was really satisfying. It was great. It was great. And then I loved it. Yeah, totally. Okay. Let's talk about the monologue. Casey loves Christmas more than anybody else, but he doesn't want to sing about it. <laughs> this is Casey Affleck as Casey Affleck. How do you feel the, the monologue played overall? I think the best way to sum it up is. Uh, basically, just to acknowledge that we probably won't see Casey transitioning into stand-up comedy anytime <laughs> sure, soon. Yes, yeah, maybe he's just not the right guy to make a really memorable monologue happen, which is fine. And you know, like it was better than Jeremy Renner, for example. <laughs> Casey is obviously not a star. You know, he doesn't have that immediate charisma and vivacious personality that just wins you over with a grin. It it doesn't seem like he emotes a lot or that he's got a lot to bring out when he's being himself. And I don't think it necessarily occurred to him that he should try to be larger than life with it. I think he was coming out as Casey and maybe that's what killed (laughs) obviously uh, a monologue, a comedic monologue with the timing involved and just the interplay that you have to be on top of to really sell it. That's not where his strengths lie. So it did kind of seem like he was drowning a bit. And then obviously at the end, once you had uh, Baldwin and Goodman out there, there was some situation where someone flubbed a line or someone lost their timing or whatever. And they all just had to be a good sport while the whole thing crashed and burned right at the end. There was supposed to be a laugh in there somewhere that just didn't happen. And it just threw the whole thing off or brought it to a screeching halt. Yeah. That is rare, rare to see a, a, a monologue where it really just does a hundred percent die and everyone has to, has to smile and kind of make the best of it at the end. So because he didn't have any real poise or confidence coming out, wasn't able to sell the jokes, didn't have the timing. And then at the end, things just went askew for whatever reason. I don't think we can rightly say this was a win. Uh, I agree with you that the writing was pretty good, but I think you just needed a different type of performer to make it happen. For sure. Now I wanted to say, it was pretty impressive to have Alec Baldwin and John Goodman show up in the monologue to think that, you know, all they had was the opening credits to get out of their Trump and Tillerson costumes and get into something more, I guess, normal. Right. You could kind of tell they were a little disheveled. Uh, Alec Baldwin's hair could have used a couple of more 
uh, run throughs with a brush. This is what I love to see is that, you know, you can kind of get a sense of that chaotic <laughs> storm happening backstage just to make this show work. Yeah. Now they didn't come out through the door with Casey, right? So they had a few more seconds while he was setting up the monologue and, and, and running through the first half of it before they appear from the, the wings. So yeah, they had a, a little bit of time for the stage hands to strip them down and <laughs> put them back together. Yeah. But it is always impressive because we are talking about literally two to three minutes from full costume and then that's stripped down and now they're in tuxes. So yeah, that's always fun to see. It's rare that they'll do that where they'll pull in a host from the the cold open and then put them in the monologue right away just because the timing rarely allows them to be poised and come out on top of their game. They're still kind of like all adrenaline and, and running from the other sketch. So yeah, you don't want them to be winded <laughs> yeah. when they get out on home base. So in the case of Goodman and Alec Baldwin, because they're pros and because this isn't the sort of thing that's just going to overwhelm them and, and excite them as much as maybe an unseasoned host, they can do that. They can let them jump from the cold open right into the, the monologue, whereas normally like they wouldn't let a host anywhere near the cold open for that exact reason. Right. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about the first pre-tape of the night, Dunkin' Donuts. The setup is Dunkin' Donuts fuels Massachusetts and we get Casey Affleck as the cliche Bostonian brawler type who is more than happy to get up to no good at the local Dunkin Donuts. Was this fun? Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense to use Casey Affleck for something like this because ever since Goodwill Hunting, the the Affleck brothers and Matt Damon are kind (laughs) of synonymous with this type of character from Boston. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was great. I thought it was really well done. The nice thing with their pre-tapes is that they can tighten up the edit so that the jokes are a little punchier. And sometimes you need that. You need that quick reveal of a shot to really sell it. For whatever reason, they make it seem really easy to get two minutes of of dense comedy the way that they do in these. And uh, it really is a credit to SNL that they hit more than they miss with these kind of pre-tapes. Yeah, and it served as a very good showcase for all three of the uh, new featured players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the nice thing is that after the the fumbly monologue, it showed that Casey Affleck can be fun, right? Like there is something here that's worth sticking around for because in that role, he was able to turn it on and really play the part well and serve the sketch. And and so it made me more optimistic <laughs> yeah. than I was coming out of the monologue. So it, it, it was a win for a couple of reasons. Yeah, some people might have been skeptical after seeing that monologue, so having this right after brought people back quickly. Yeah, probably. So exactly. Yeah. Good choice. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was a good strong opener for the sketches of the night. Now let's move on to robot presentation. We are at Microsoft tech expo 2016 and the robots are not necessarily what one particular audience member was expecting. If I remember correctly, this is the second time we've seen a robot tech expo in this season. Yeah. We had one during the Emily Blunt episode. I like this one a lot better. I didn't think that previous sketch worked very well. I think this was a really good reaction to that social kind of song and dance we have to do around (laughs) these types of issues. Right. This kind of is really skewering how it's become impossible to discuss certain matters. Like even if you have no ill will, right? No animosity towards gay people or, or any agenda to push. We've gotten to a point in society where sometimes just acknowledging that something exists or that something looks a certain way, or that you have questions about something that 
we tend to have a knee jerk reaction as, as a culture and tend to jump on it. And there tends to be no way to win <laughs> in a, in a conversation like that. Like no matter what you say, it's gonna just play absolutely wrong to some of the people around you. And so the reaction of all the people around him where they're all just skittish and they're all pulling back and they're saying, no, I'm not touching this with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> that's very true. That, that is what tends to happen in our culture where if someone's treading into sensitive territory, well-meaning as they may be, you, you're not going to get any backup. Nobody's going to say, yeah, you know what, what you're saying is perfectly reasonable. These, these robots are definitely demonstrating some overtly homosexual characteristics. Nobody's just going to come out and have your back on that because it's so touchy. Yeah. They've created this situation where you can't win. Like here they have this robot that they've programmed to <laughs> come out and just say he's gay, even though it's not relevant to any kind of uh, business purposes, the, the robots supposedly for, but if you bring that up, then, oh, you're the homophobic one. <laughs> so yeah, like, like I said, you just can't win. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I personally thought it was really funny. I thought it, it, it hit a lot of good points and just presented that whole scenario as ridiculous as it is to have these robots be as overtly gay as they are to just show how that plays amongst normal people. I, I felt that there was some truth there and that made it really, really funny for me. I thought it was a, a really fun little dissection of our, our social <laughs> awkwardness around certain things. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was a win. I thought it was a big win. Totally. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Now let's take a look. Oh, you know what? Before we move on, Fred Armisen shows up. Yeah. We didn't mention Fred. <laughs> Always great to see Fred. We see him uh, uh, once more this evening and uh, yeah, great. Good to see Fred. Yeah. It's good to have the cameo you know, whoever it may be, have them on stage as the camera fades in to get that big welcoming applause out of the way. Right, right. Because a lot of the time it can slow down the the rhythm of the sketch when they enter halfway through Mm -hmm. and, you know, they have to pause to accept that huge uh, applause, right? Yeah. Yeah. This played out well. He's always good because he can play indignant well, like self-righteous indignation he plays really well snooty <laughs> yeah pompous kind of indignation <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah a, li- a little bit of regime poking through in that sketch so that was good it was a, a fun fit for fred to be able to to come in on that sketch okay let's talk a little bit about our second pre-tape we get jingle barack which is a old school hip-hop tribute to barack obama on the eve of him stepping back and the trump era beginning this is our last barack christmas and the show wanted to give him a bit of a send-off do you feel like it worked as a tribute was it a fun sketch was this was this a win like where were the merits in this yeah i think it was a win i think it was an appropriate way to honor the last bit of time we have with barack obama yeah i think it was it was a, a great sketch and it was fun and yeah, totally, uh, totally successful uh, direction to go with uh, this subject matter. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was fun that they got uh, Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC to come in and participate, as well as Chance the Rapper. Yeah. I thought it played really well. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I especially liked when they had Leslie step in as uh, Salt and Peppa to do the little groove there yeah. at mid- midway through. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that song growing up. <laughs> They really kind of nailed the, uh, the, the look, uh, for Leslie in that she had the same jacket. If, if you got the reference, it was all very fitting and fun. Yeah. I almost didn't recognize Leslie for a second when she made her appearance. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a testament. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Okay. So moving right along Christmas miracle. 
Colleen Rafferty is back a third time. We thought that this character had been retired and had been replaced by old lady at a round table. Yeah. But Colleen Rafferty is back and this time she is being accosted by Crinkle Mouse (laughs) and she has been abducted to the North Pole for what sounds like a very miserable Christmas adventure. I guess we were wrong about this sketch evolving into the women in film panel that we've seen a couple of times uh, since the last rendition of this sketch Mm -hmm. compared to the other two. This might be the weakest of the three in my opinion. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it's still a fun ride. My hunch is that this character probably was quasi officially retired because I don't think they had another angle for it. You know, they did aliens and then they did out of body experience. So there's only so many supernatural scenarios that you can run her through and kind of hit those same beats. I felt like it was pretty strong, probably as good as the other two outings, but because you've seen it before and you know exactly what the beats are and what to expect, it's hard to invest as much as maybe you, you would have in the other ones. Yeah. So for me, it was a marginal win. I enjoyed it. Kate always does what she does, right? There are laughs there, regardless of whether it's kind of played out. Uh, this just wasn't the make or break thing of the night for me. Gotcha. Okay. Let's talk about the musical performances. We had Chance the Rapper performing Finish Line Drown with uh, No Name Gypsy came up on stage to accompany him on the vocals. And then his second performance was Same Drugs. What did you think? I'm going to go as far to say that this was probably the best musical performance of the season. Okay. I thought this was mind blowing. Okay. I would rank it pretty high. I was thoroughly won over very quickly and all the more so as the songs progressed and they became a little bit more grandiose, you know, like it started out as pretty conventional hip hop fair. And then he just started dripping gospel all over it, you know? Yeah. And so it it takes on a a much like grander, more satisfying quality. So uh, that fusion for me was fun. And then he let his drummer go on a tear to end all tears at one point, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I think that was a nice moment. Yeah. Sticks. Yeah. (laughs) So you got a lot more for your money with these performances than I was expecting. And it makes me understand why chance the rapper, I think is officially into like friend of the show territory now. Yep. It was an interesting uh, costume choice for that first song. The jumpsuit. Yeah. He kind of looked like (laughs) Mario after he finds a firepower flower. Sure. (laughs) You know, where you can shoot the fireballs. It seemed very like holiday festive to me. Like this is, uh, him as a like six-year-old kid jumping out of bed in their PJs coming down for to see the the presents under the tree kind of thing like that that was the vibe I got that this was just yeah kid jumpsuit kind of a situation I liked it 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 didn't throw me off or anything and you can buy that number three hat now so okay kids can look even more like that on Christmas morning (laughs) great so I agree with you. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was a fantastic performance and, and musically there was a lot going on that was engaging. Is there anything else that we need to say about it other than this was a a big win for the show? Well, I was wondering about something I noticed in the second song when he was on the piano, there was something that cracked him up while he was singing and he started to laugh a little bit. Did you notice that? I think that was part of the performance. Oh, was it? I think that's just part of what he does in that song. I noticed that too. And I felt like, okay, is he kind of like talking to... Because a guy came up to relieve him at the piano at one point so he could shift his performance. And when that guy came up, I got the sense that it wasn't necessarily an ad lib, but it was meant to seem that way that he was kind of like talking to him, like, come on over here and like step in and help me out or something. So when I saw him do that and it was kind of like a baked in quasi ad lib, I started to assume that the other little 
goofy moment, I think that that was actually part of the performance. Yes, it was very nice of Tim Robinson to come back to take over for the piano part there. (laughs) Yeah, now just so that our audience doesn't get confused by that. Uh, Obviously, that wasn't actually Tim Robinson. That was a a professional pianist. But yeah, he had the iconic Tim schnoz. (laughs) Yeah, his profile was totally Tim. When he turned around, he didn't look so much like him. But from the side, I was like, double take. Is that that Tim on piano? (laughs) So yeah, uh, anything else worth saying about Chance the Rapper? No, I got it all in. (laughs) Good, good. Yeah, he was a good sport too, showing up in a couple sketches tonight. It seems like he's a fun guy. I think they like having him around. It's good. Hey guys, just a quick reminder that Kadabi, makers of the best, super thin, beautifully simple iPhone cases, is still offering our customers 25% off with coupon code SNL. But even better, Kadabi has just started their holiday sale and have marked down all of their products up to 50% off. But they're still letting our customers stack the SNL coupon on top of these already incredibly low sale prices. So our customers can save even more if they order right now. Kadabi iPhone cases make great gifts. In particular, check out the Synthesis case. This is their most protective and practical case for iPhone users that need rugged, complete protection without all the bulk or toolbox styling of other cases. There's still time to get your order delivered anywhere in North America before the holidays, so head over to snlafterparty.fm and click the Kadabi banner to shop now. And don't forget to use coupon code SNL to save 25% on top of their already super low holiday sales prices. And our thanks to Kadabi for supporting this episode of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. Let's talk a little bit about Weekend Update. We come out, as always, with our first political run of back and forth jokes with Jostin Che. How did you feel that first section of Weekend Update was firing? Started really strong. That first joke with the red flags was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Way to start off update with that one. Yeah, I thought this opening run was excellent this week. Just generally speaking, I'm finding the Trump stuff a little bit more fun now that they are weaving in that new take on him and it's less about the the vitriol and frustration of the election and it's starting to get into just him as a president and goofing on that. Yeah. So I'm I'm finding the materials a little more fun. I thought the writing was really precise and good for a lot of these opening jokes and I thought their performance was right on. I don't I don't think there was much in the way of stumbling or anything, which is usually something that we see at least once in update. Usually, well, it's not always Che, but oftentimes it's Che that will really just kill a joke by stepping on it the wrong way, but we didn't have much of that going on tonight. So I thought this was a really great way to kick things off. Yeah. And then after that, we get into our first and only real contributor feature for the night. We get Vanessa Bayer and Fred Armisen back. This time they're reprising the friends of character. This time they're talking about their great friend, Vladimir Putin, and how incensed they were at how they were treated at his Christmas party. I've always loved these two characters. Anything with Fred Armisen on update is comedy gold in my opinion and i like how they can repurpose it and just have them be the best friends of whatever dictator is in the news (laughs) i think they've done one with gaddafi one with saddam hussein and i think they've done putin before haven't they yeah they've done ahmadinejad at one point too yeah so it's one of those observational types of angles that people can relate to and a very uh accurate depiction of right of how people who are very close to each other when they get to know each other a little too well <laughs> you know they have a lot of good things to say about someone but you know they and they feel kind of guilty for complaining so they their voice goes down all those subtleties are just so true to life that you know it makes for really 
great comedy. Yeah, that's really what works about it is how instantly you connect with the bit. Yeah. It's all good. I really like it. The fact that we haven't seen it in a while makes it even better. Yeah, totally. I will say though, uh, <laughs> uh, Seth Meyers, when he did it with those guys, uh, it's just a little bit better than, than Michael Che. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not, not. Not, not that we don't like Che. Like Che is great. We were, you know, Che is the man, but best guy, best guy in the world. Sometimes, just sometimes when it comes to features. <laughs> I've noticed that after Seth left, any of the older update characters that Seth uh, used to interact with, most of those have been taken over by Michael Che. Right. So when, you know, that final joke that they always do where Seth would kind of do that same gag. Yeah. Get in on it. Yeah. Yeah. Where he gets in on it. They did that same thing with Michael Che, but he just didn't do it nearly as well. So it just made me miss Seth. It's one of those times where they should have kind of retooled it a little bit. Yeah. That's just one criticism. Fair enough. I don't think it was a problem personally, because that's how they exit it. I think you need to have that moment where you change it up just so that you understand we don't have to go off on a whole second tear. It's okay for everyone to start, you know, clapping in a couple seconds because this is the, the thing that we use to buttress the sketch and get us out. So yeah. because of that, I feel like they needed it. Otherwise, you know, how do you get out gracefully? It wasn't a problem for me. And because Jost and Che are a duo. So you, ex- you kind of expect that the, the fictitious narrative with them is that they kind of step on each other's toes and they're a little aggravating to each other. It played into that nicely as well. Yeah. So there were a few elements to it that I thought worked just fine. Che is not a performer in that sense. So you're right that it's maybe not quite as smooth as Seth Meyers would have done it, but I still felt it was welcome, welcome and necessary. Yeah. I just wish he did a little better. Like he kind of cracked up. Uh, when he did it and almost laughed while he was doing it, which kind of ruins the effect. Sure. I, I think everyone was having a good time tonight. So there was probably a little bit of mirth and just a little bit of looseness at this point in update too. Yeah. So I, I can be really forgiving. If I'm enjoying a show, I'll forgive almost anything. So <laughs> yeah, I forgive it too. Yeah. I don't have much else to say about it. I I thought there was a lot of funny jokes and I thought the delivery on almost all of the regular type of update material I thought was all great. I'm glad they had a really strong finish to 2016. Okay, let's move on. In the back half of the show now, our first sketch is New York Now, which is a morning talk show type of a deal. And their man on the street has gone out to Long Island to cover Silent Night, Hilarious Night, a nativity pageant put on by, you know, some church group in Long Island. Is this funny? Is this is this a worthwhile contribution to the show? Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, I got mixed emotions about it. There was stuff I liked about it. And uh, it's not uncommon for Saturday Night Live to poke fun at Long Island. They love doing that. Yeah, it was it was kind of hard to enjoy just because I hated those characters on a personal <laughs> level so much. Like it was almost like kind of clouding the 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 comedy, even though yeah, it's it's fiction, but but still I wanted to strangle those three people. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, and this again, there's a lot of this tonight for some reason where you get really spot on takes on some little cultural idiosyncrasy. These people definitely exist. And I think it was a fun scenario to throw them into to show just how bad some people's sense of humor is and they're oblivious to it. I think that's kind of where the joke lied. Yeah. And uh, it was just so much cringe in there when they're, when they're quoting movies and just blatantly stealing jokes or borrowing as they call it. Right. That attitude they have towards children and like, (laughs) 
how they're just going to screw it up. If anything, having children make those jokes would at least make it somewhat forgivable. Right. Because you would expect that that's the level of sort of like comedic or performance maturity that like an eight-year-old would have. Yeah. But they don't trust the eight-year-olds to pull it off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I have a feeling this is the kind of sketch that the writers were really in love with because this was probably born out of them having conversations with some of their family or maybe less comedically minded friends (laughs) who are talking about something they find funny and the writers just have to bite their tongue kind of like the, um, the man on the street, the reporter has to kind of like indulge them and play along and not speak his mind because he realizes instantly just how, just how pathetic this whole scenario is. Yeah. So I'm sure that there's a lot of comedy writers that sit around with friends and family or whatever, and they have to do the same thing. They have to pretend that someone who's going on about how brilliant this line from Austin Powers was, you know, like the, the, the most juvenile simplistic type of comedy, they have to give them their space to be able to, to believe that that's actually, you know, the height of comedy. Right. Yeah. I, I think that that's probably where it came from. And because of that, I think they were able to speak to that topic with authority and really paint these characters. Well, yeah. We got Chance the Rapper in another sketch. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Again, this is why I'm thinking he's like officially friend of the show, that they're sitting around and they know that he'll be game. So they'll find an opportunity in a sketch where they can throw him in because it seems like he's a good sport about these sort of things. Yeah, and I don't know if it made the cut on a previous podcast, but I was talking about how he showed a willingness to do pretty much anything for the sake of comedy from his appearance on the Eric Andre show. Mm Mm-hmm. Basically, he was taking a bath in a giant teacup throughout the entire uh, interview he had with Eric Andre. So, yeah, he's he's totally, you know, he doesn't take himself seriously that he, he's not willing to do things like that. So it makes me respect him even more. Yeah. Yeah. Which was already high up there from his musical talents. Yeah, no, this was good. This was good. Having him there this week, I think, made the show better, which is rare. Like the having the musical performer in house, unless they're like a Timberlake or maybe a Lady Gaga or someone that, you know, uh, really could be a strength in other aspects of the show. Uh, normally it's inconsequential to the rest of the show, who, who your musical guest is, but as a, as kind of their Christmas finale and a show that they wanted to be a little bigger than the typical show, bringing him in helped with that. So this was good. This was a win. Totes. Cool. Uh, Hillary, actually Hillary Clinton shows up at some unsuspecting electoral college voters door to profess her deep and abiding desire to have this person vote against Trump (laughs) and they stage it in the same way that love actually ends where, um, the dude from walking dead comes and silently professes his love for Kira Knightley. I thought that this was genius. I thought this was maybe the smartest thing that they did for the night. And even though I don't necessarily agree with the politics of it all, I thought that this was an amazing set up to find. And I thought they executed it really well. I wanted to say that before I let you jump in, just because I, I felt a little passionately about this one in particular. Did you feel like this was as special as I thought it was, or was this just kind of a run of the mill pre-tape for you? No, I thought it was very, very tight. It was, it was technically really good. Like they probably had to do a lot of takes to get that rapid drop of cards just right. (laughs) Where she kind of fast forwards her, her speech because it's, they're all visible just long enough that you could read them all and uh, they all fall one by one. Very true. You realize that she has literally transcribed her entire career <laughs> on those cards. Yeah. Yeah. That joke does play because they paste it properly there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I appreciate the time they took to get that just right. Cause you know, that wasn't a one take deal. Well, with Kate McKinnon, who knows? 
Yeah. <laughs> Here's another thing. Uh, one one criticism I had is that a lot of the shots you can tell technically she's holding the last card, mm-hmm. and then when they cut back, she's got ten more, another stack of cards, <laughs> right, right. which is fine. There's no way she could realistically hold that many cards. But I was thinking, you know, maybe put a few more extra cards behind that last one so it feels like there's uh, more to go to it. Because there was like several times where she was very obviously holding one card and then all of a sudden she had more. Fair enough. That didn't really pull me out of it at all. Like I didn't actually pick up on that until you mentioned it. I think because you're reading the cards, you're not thinking as as much about some of those kind of technical things. And if you do pick up on it, you can easily just write it off as this is just part of the comedic goof of the sketch that uh, there's so many cards that it wouldn't even be practical for someone to have that many in hand, right? Like yeah. just physically, it's not possible for this scenario to play out exactly as they're showing it. So even that I feel just, it, it, if you pick up on it, doesn't really hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm being picky here. No, no, that, that's, that's fair. And I mean, if there is a criticism, maybe that's it, but I, I couldn't find anything bad about the sketch because I feel like through the cards, they hit so many fun beats and topics and made so many jokes in that silent progression that I felt that there was a certain amount of genius there. So I was really enjoying it. It all came together really nicely. Yeah. And I've said it before that Kate is a master of, you know, handling props and having a physical object be part of the comedy. For example, the way that she sped up a little bit to do the cough, rush a cough part. Right, 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 right. You know, just a subtle thing that a lot of people wouldn't pick up on, but it makes that joke work. Yep. It's all really good. Yeah. Cool. Moving on. Let's talk a little bit about Mrs. Claus and the elves. This is maybe our third run at this. Third run, second uh, Christmas version. Okay. Now, I don't think they really broke new ground with this. Like, this is pretty much the same run of the mill. You've got these sadomasochistic elves that are just begging to be punished. Is it fun to see this again without it going in any new direction? Not really, because I think it's it's reached its peak with Ryan Gosling being thrown in the mix, because he did such a good job as one of those three elves. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of those moments where I was, you know, suspecting that Casey might've been under the weather because he, he wasn't matching the energy of the other two. And that kind of created a problem for me watching it. Yeah. I thought the same thing. I felt like he did stick out a bit because the other two are intentionally grinning. Like they're just on the verge of bubbling over with anticipation at potentially, you know, (laughs) being punished. Yeah. And they're quivering. Yeah. Like you can just see that, like, they're just lapping up the the situation and and just can't wait. <laughs> Whereas he like even though he participated because he wasn't as on or emoting as as intensely as they were, he did feel out of place. I think that's the fair criticism of the sketch. Yeah. Not only is it well tread territory, it isn't the strongest of the three and he him in particular was not a great fit for this role. So if there was a weak point of the night, I think this might be it. Yeah. Okay. 10 to one sketch Christmas bar. You get the strong silent type character from a movie. Like (laughs) I'm thinking of any movie where it's like the main character is a, a police officer or fireman or someone who's not supposed to be in touch with their emotions. Uh, so when they go to a bar and they want to like pursue a pretty girl, they have this bashful kind of like reserve self-deprecating way of approaching her. You know, they're the strong silent type kind of a thing. That was kind of the vibe that I got from the, the setup of it. And then the goof being that they take that to extremes where it isn't just their pickup line that this is actually like every character in the bar 
uh, this is kind of the, the full <laughs> breadth of their ability to communicate with each other is in this bashful, uh, self-deprecating tone. Is that a little too specific, a goof to, to carry a whole sketch? Um, no, it's, it's something recognizable. And I think it hangs off that fact that you do recognize this. Like, a, you know, I was almost expecting Michael Rappaport to, to yes. make a cameo in this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was, it was just that kind of, uh, you know, thing that he does and what he brings to the table and why he gets roles, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that, you know, reluctant Italian American, uh, I want to say it, but uh, I'm going to hesitate a bit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that is what they were goofing on. I think there is a trope there that they're pulling on. Yeah. But then, of course, you know, they they have to take it to these ridiculous extremes for the sake of the sketch. Do you feel like uh, as a piece end to end that that it held up like that this was a fun outing altogether, like where they took the story where the guy gets stabbed and then the ambulance, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it did hold up surprisingly for how little they had to change up the the joke. All they really had to do was introduce another character after another who, <laughs> you know, each of these characters have less of a reason to act like this. Right, right. You know, that's that's what makes the sketch work. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. I think if it had been any longer, it probably would have lost steam really quick. But yeah, for what it was, uh, as kind of a quick one-off, I do feel like it just barely held together. I don't think there was anything else they could have done with it, but as far as they took it, was appropriate. Yeah. And I think we would agree that this season overall has been really great. One thing that it's been suffering in is that 10 to one department. Mm-hmm. Maybe they haven't been working so well, but this is one of the ones that stand out so far in this season that I think is actually a good, successful uh, last sketch of the night. Yeah. I would take this over bronze Eagle head guy. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> okay. So that's our recap. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the moment of the night. What took it for you? It would have to be Beck Bennett's gay walk as the robot. Okay. Out of my way, coming through, out of my way, coming through. You know, the way that he was uh, completely stiff and robotic and then, you know, took up that gay persona up a notch. It was so jarring and uh, and it's so well done that that sticks out in my memory as just like a funny moment of the show. Yeah. So th- that's my pick. Yeah. No, that's a great little performance moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And- it shows how successful the sketch was with making its point. Cause I actually feel like I'm going to get yelled at for saying that, <laughs> that he had a gay walk. Yeah, you probably would. There would be a certain amount of irony if that's the feedback that we're getting next week. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Leslie Jones in her salt and pepper persona in the, uh, the Brock jingle pre-tape. Yeah, that's a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I'm probably the exact right age to appreciate that joke because I remember the video that they're goofing on and it was just fun. It was because it wasn't what I was expecting to drop in the middle of that song. It made it that much more satisfying. So as just a moment, that was grin worthy for me. Yeah, totally. Okay. So what was your best overall sketch? You know, I hate to draw from the same well over and over again. I like to have variety, but I think that whole tech expo sketch was the best sketch of the night. So both my moment of the night and my sketch of the night is coming from, from the same place. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it was a good sketch. And it it was aware of a truism in our culture that I think they lampooned effectively. So yeah, that was a fun sketch. I'm going to give it to the pre-tape Hillary actually 
I think that that was very well executed, well produced. I thought the the amount of jokes that they were able to get out of her standing there dropping cue cards and just how much her personality and her physical performance had to carry all of those little beats. I just thought that was a real win. Yeah, I would probably would have picked that if I didn't pick this one. Okay, great. So MVP, who takes it for you? You know, uh, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but uh, I have to say it's uh, got to go to Kate McKinnon this week. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but in all serious, I think Kate hit a home run. Like you said, that Love Actually sketch was one of the highlights, and that's mostly because of Kate. A little bit of Cecily, but Kate was the anchor of that sketch. Mm-hmm. And she had a lot of uh, other good roles. You know, she was one of the... Uh, the scientists in the uh, the robot expo, one of those reluctant New Yorkers in the uh, 10 to 1. Mm-hmm. And of course, she did one of her uh, most uh, recognizable characters again from the Santa encounter. So I would find it hard to think of anyone else who deserves MVP this week. Yep. And she was Kellyanne Conway in the cold open. So she was perennial tonight. Yeah. See? Yeah. Strong choice. I'm giving it to Beck Bennett. I think that from a performance standpoint, he had a lot of the key moments tonight. He was, you know, the, the gay robot. So, you know, there was a lot that he had to, to bring to that performance. He was also Putin, which is one of the, the most fun political caricatures that they've got to work with right now. And, uh, just generally speaking, I thought that everything that, that he brought tonight was a win was, uh, was strong, if not stronger than even the material that he was pulling from. So I I just felt like he was a, a great asset to every sketch he was in tonight. Yeah, and I love that Max headroom hair that they put on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the molded plastic look. <laughs> they shined up his forehead too to give him that like um, AI look, right? Like what? What was that actor from AI? The British guy. Oh, Jude Law. Yeah, Jude Law. They kind of they kind of gave him that same sort of like uh, shiny skin robotic look. Yeah, it, it worked. I kind of noticed he's actually kind of naturally shiny. If you if you saw that Ducktales theme song, who Beck or Jude Law? No, uh, Beck Bennett because he's Launchpad McDuck in the new Ducktales. Yeah, I heard that, and Bobby Moynihan's involved too, right? Yeah, he's uh, one of the one of the three nephews. Yeah, they did a like a, a special promotional video where they all sang the original theme song. Okay, and he looks like he's got like a layer of sweat. I th- I don't think he was feeling that well that day. Yeah, it could have been. Like, I don't find him to be particularly shiny most times in the show. <laughs> like, I think that they intentionally lathered up the top of his forehead just so it would catch the spotlight a little bit more than normal. Yeah. Just to give him that plastic uh, toy quality. Yeah. So I think that was a, a fun little effect. But his performance was was great in that sketch and everything he did. So I I think that's a fitting MVP from my side. So on a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? Oh, this one's a tough one. It's like, uh, it's one of these cutting your darlings moments because there was so much to like about this. Mm-hmm. And part of me wants to give it a week, but you know what? It's on the same level as last week where we gave that one a week rating as well. But um, yeah, there wasn't any sketch that stood out and was like an actual win, even though it was like generally enjoyable. This is kind of the same way, but we still have, you know, the, um, the tech expo and the love actually. So maybe let's, let's give this a high typical. (laughs) Okay. So you went from saying that you were thinking you wanted to give it a week to now you're like squarely in the strong typical range. Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I don't know. How- I guess my mood improved. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know how we got there from what you just said. I thought that you were squarely saying it's weak. But um, oh, that that's. Do you want me to say it again so it makes more sense? No, 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 no. If that's the, however it falls out of your face is fine. We can't we can't be too <laughs> too precious about our analysis here. I'm going typical as well. I thought that the sketches this week and the pre-tapes this week, I thought across the board were stronger than last week, which puts it into the typical range. That said, I really enjoyed it. And I I know last week I was sick and so I was a little more down on the show, but I enjoyed this immensely more than last week's episode, even though I thought John Cena was a really good host. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think we're in the same ballpark there. So we're giving this one a solid typical, both of us. Yeah, we're in agreement. Cool. All right. Let's call it a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR. And thank you also to this week's sponsor, Kadabi. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon and other affiliate links found at snlafterparty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in two weeks with a fun interview we did with SNL and SCTV alum Robin Duke. And then, two weeks later, when SNL returns with host Felicity Jones and musical guest Sturgill Simpson. This has been episode number 10 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to Chance the Rapper, Fred Armisen, John Goodwin, Alex Jude, Ellie Burstown. Love you very much. Thank you to the cast and crew. Thank you all very much. Donald Trump officially announced that he's nominating ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson to be Secretary of State. Trump chose the Exxon CEO because he was three cents cheaper than the Chevron CEO across the street. (laughs) In 2013, Putin awarded Tillerson the Order of Friendship, which is one of the highest honors Russia gives to foreigners. In fact, the only higher honor Russia can give you is President of the United States. (laughs) 